especially now, I feel like that's something that's almost coming out of this kind of surreal time and surreal moment we're in. People, we're in a very divided and divisive nation. People are now more than other willing, willing to wear on their arm, wear on their car, wear on their like shirt, what they feel. And being true and authentic to yourself, it's almost a relief because it's like, if people come in and out of your life now, at least you know that it's because of like you being yourself and true to, your, true to who you are. Hey listeners, Denise here, and joining me right now is guest interviewer Kira Cottrell. In this episode, we interview Michael D. Green, who is a heavyweight senior at Dartmouth College and is Jamaican-American like me. During our conversation, we talk about subjectivity and the expectations of managing team conversations about race. If you haven't already, please write a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find the story as well. We hope to amplify the voices of color to create more unity and diversity within the sport of rowing. Hit follow, subscribe, and enjoy. Welcome to the Rowing in Color podcast. Denise here, and I'm happy to introduce Michael D. Green. And with me to interview him is Kira Gattrell, who you might remember from episode 25 with Kevin Harris and episode 31 with Mayfield Vashti Roberts. So Michael, tell us how you're doing. Hey, thank you for having me here. I'm doing, I'm doing definitely all right. It's definitely been quite a lot, I'd say just since probably March or so, maybe even a little bit before that, where I just like had a lot of just anxiety around everything going on in the world and just kind of being at a really pivotal, pivotal transition in my life, I'd say. Like right now, I'm a senior undergraduate student at Dartmouth College, majoring in anthropology, minoring in environmental science. I kind of have a broader interest in public health, and I'm particularly interested about racial health care disparities. I row on the Dartmouth Heavyweight Crew Team, and I've been rowing since my freshman winter. I'm from Columbia, Maryland, and um, I'm Black. My mother immigrated from Jamaica when she was about seven years old, and my dad, he's from, he claims to be from the Washington, D.C. area, but he's really from PG County, Maryland. <laughs> Also, um, oh yeah, one other thing I recently, last week actually started a position at the George Pocock Rowing Foundation as their Ergat and Student Services um, data analyst. So I'm really looking forward to help them out over there with a couple of the initiatives they have towards community outreach and bringing more diversity in rowing. I know that your mother emigrated from Jamaica because my mom did too when she was 12. So I'm Jamaican American, I'm black, I've been rowing since I was about 10. Now I row for the Hackensack crew team in Bergen County Rowing Academy. And I'm also in my senior year, just not in college, in my senior year of high school. And I was recently just promoted on my club team to assistant coach of the children's program. So that's been a cool new responsibility of mine and a great testament to my patients dealing with the kids. So other than that, I just work a lot within the city about, um, kind of making sure that people of color have a chance to row, which is mainly why I started the team since it's such a, not really that inclusive of a sport. So I mainly just work on that with my high school and then other things within my community, just making sure that everyone gets the representation that they need. I'm looking to go to college and row. And then in college, I wanna study architecture, civil engineering or some type of urban planning, anything in that field. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel really like privileged for where I got to start like of rowing. Like I definitely see, like we run this little like summer camp where we have like kids who like parents just like basically pay to send them off and like have them row off us. Mm -hmm. And like just seeing like a lot of like the novice kids like who are coming in all, all over all over the place. I'm like, ooh, like definitely it's like that's not my experience I got like with kind of the attention we had 
at my like smaller school, but relatively big program. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely commend you for having the patience to work with all the kids and bring them to the sport. So you were saying that you started rowing in your freshman winter. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how did you get into it? Like what grabbed your attention, made you want to start rowing? Yeah. So I definitely consider myself somewhat like of a lifelong athlete. Um, I played sports probably since I could like communicate with other people and be on a team. Like I grew up playing soccer up through elementary school. And then when I was, I believe nine, I started playing tackle football, much to my mom's chagrin, but my dad was a football <laughs> player. So it was kind of like, yeah, I was just like this tiny twerpy kid, like definitely like on the margins of, I probably shouldn't have even been like in some pads because I look like a bobblehead with the big like <laughs> on me, but it was just like, I really idolized LaDainian Tomlinson, a player on the then San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers. And it was just something that I really like, liked being on a team, liked playing a sport. Um, as I grew up, I was just a football player and then later track athlete. And like, I really, really longed for that team aspect. So um, I kind of really felt burnt out in football and track. And even if I like was skilled enough to compete in college, I probably wouldn't have wanted to try out for a team or pursue that like beyond. And um, I remember like my freshman year and like our dorms at Dartmouth and like just like dur during the kind of like little activities fair, there was a booth for rowing. And I like was like, huh, like, what is this thing in these boats and this water and all that? I don't, I don't know about all that. I remember a kid at um, my high school wrote and he was kind of weird. So I wasn't really trying to like, I, I just I just had a bad uh, taste in my mouth, I guess, towards the sport and just it overall, it wasn't something that really was like as enticing to me before. I was like, hmm, like maybe I should try it out. I actually didn't end up going to the info session where they were like talking to a lot of the novices that fall. Cause I was like, well, I didn't know if I would have the time like on top of like the kind of like more rigorous like academic life I was bringing myself into. And I hadn't yeah. had an experience in not being on a team anymore. So I took the fall and didn't, I wasn't on a team. I made a really like strong friend group which actually happened to be a lot of the um, football players on the Dartmouth football team. And a lot of them are like, I kind of consider it's gonna be like my lifelong friends. And I wasn't really in a position where I was like, oh, like I need to join a team to like find my people, but I just really mixed the consistency that it gave me in my schedule and kind of just that, the goal setting that you had. So after not going through like all fall, like trying out the team, going through the novice program in the water, I emailed our then assistant coach at the time. And I was like, hey, like, I wasn't there like all fall, but I'd still like to try out. And surprisingly, he was like, yeah, sure. Like, if you want to like come out and like we, the Connecticut River up in New Hampshire is frozen all winter. So we would just be like erging. So, and we have tanks too. So like, he's like, if you want to try it out in that, like, go ahead. And I'm sure like in the back of his head, he's like, this kid has no idea what he's getting into. Like you're, you're doing a, a full winter of like erging, like with us, like it's probably like going to be <laughs> something that's not that fun and to be honest I was just like everything was so new to me at the time like over the over the winter like I would look at like rowing videos and like stuff and I'm like oh like this is some pretty this is like it seems like a cool sport and it just really like when I was going to the winter only on the ergs only like rowing in the tanks and have have never even stepped foot into a boat yet I was just like wow this is like it stinks like putting yourself through like the like physical pain of like being in a winter like indoor only winter season but just i really enjoyed the guys in the team they're like really they're really kind a lot of camaraderie and we kind of had that like shared struggle something we kind of talk about a lot on our team is just like 
because we're like, we have a lot of factors working against us, not having as much water time as a lot of the other teams and having like really serious, like a really serious academic schedule that puts people all over the place. It was just like, I think it brings us closer together as a heavyweight squad. So that was definitely kind of like, I'd say overall, the team aspect definitely brought it to me and just being able to see like a direct, like linear contribution almost to your success at first was really cool to me. So what do you mean when you say like shared struggle within your teammates? So like definitely effort wise, it's like you get better since I started on the ERG, like you get better on the ERG, but it's always going to hurt. It's not like if you're, if it's not hurting kind of like it did in those first couple of times, you're going to continue to like push yourself and go fast. You're going to get faster, but it's always going to be kind of that same level of physical exertion. So because of that, it's kind of like, we all had that like shared pain around us when we're like, you're doing our tests, you're doing like long study state sessions, you're walking through like the multi feet of snow that we have up in New Hampshire, which I wasn't used to walking through coming from like identifying as someone who comes like from a more Southern region, like all these things that came together, those were th factors. And we were all kind of had the same goal of like making the boats that you were in move fast. Like as a rower, that's your like primary objective. You want to, beat the, the crews you line up against you want to like win cups and trophies at the end of the at the end of the season that's something that like really what resonated with me and it's like as you know it was a like as a football player it was nice to get like spotlight you could have like good stats and stuff and your team could stink but it, like as a crew like there's not one person you can point to that like makes a boat go it's a collective experience and that's definitely something that like I thought was really cool and it was just really like unique about this sport. So throughout that collective experience and that shared struggles that you guys have, which is really good. It sounds like you guys have like a really nice sense of like camaraderie between you and your teammates. Have you, has it always been, has all the moments on your team been like that good support system or have you ever felt either within your team or within the sport of rowing in general, like you just didn't belong? I, yeah. So looking at this question, I was like, I never felt like I belong. Like one, I first off, I'm on my team. Like I'd say our team average is like six three, six four. I'm just like six foot and like a wee bit of change, maybe like maybe six <laughs> foot like a quarter inch. So like normally, like around people, like I feel like okay, like I'm an above average height guy. I'm like these all got are these people like made in the lab? Like why is everybody like six five, six six, six seven? And also, I'd say I come from like middle upper middle class background. And at Dartmouth, like the, I think half the people at the school like aren't on financial aid um, yeah. with like a $72,000 cost of attendance. So that's like definitely like top 1% level yeah. like, wealth. And it's definitely something like a lot of people in the school at my school and like on my team went to boarding school. I thought boarding school is a joke. Like I've grown up <laughs> in the public school system. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like you're sending your kids like across the country, like when they're 13, those are like really formative years for me. And it's just like, a lot of these new things were coming together for me. So I felt out of place definitely in my boathouse because yeah, there's so little representation in the team. And then I also felt just out of place because I'm like, wow, like there's a lot of opposite, like extreme conditions, whether that like being people who were like, basically were like expected to go to like a school like Dartmouth. Like, I feel like, um, I was always like a high achieving student, but, and I definitely think that I like 
although I had issues at the beginning of like not feeling like I belonged because I didn't come from like a pedigree and a like extreme serious rigorous background where like all my family members like graduated from college like everybody expected me to go to like an elite school and like work at some like snooty job in the future that definitely was something that like I kind of grappled with in my first couple of years that feeling of belonging mm -hmm, and definitely yeah. like being on a new sport contributed to it but I'd say a lot of the broader circumstances of where I was contribute to it as well yeah I think for me one of the things that I found like most intimidating when I first started rowing was that like everyone around me and everyone at my boathouse was like had their parents have like a bunch of money they would like fly to races where I would just drive two hours like why do you need to fly it's only two hours away <laughs> yeah it's so, like stuff like that would happen or like people are going to like these top-notch schools and like all like that fancy stuff that you're talking about and I always felt like well I was like well I thought we were just here to row like I don't understand why I have to meet these expectations or why I feel like I have to meet these expectations so I always felt like I had to work like two times harder three times harder than everyone else to feel like I was even matching up with them so that was one of the things that I struggled with for a while so have you ever felt kind of like intimidated or like you have to work like harder to kind of match up with everyone else? I have felt at times that I need to just really be almost like exorbitantly like authentic in myself. At times I felt like I'm bringing something that's like different to the team beyond, beyond just like as an oarsman, as a rower, just because I felt so behind overall in the program. Since I joined as a novice in the winter and never even took a couple of strokes, at times I was like, oh, like, how am I gonna catch up to everyone? Mm -hmm. Like, and because there's such a steep, like learning curve in rowing, there are ways you can, you can learn if you're coachable, you can contribute to a team. Like, although like the kind of like traditionally novice culture we had at Dartmouth is really dwindling out because we're getting significantly faster as a team and getting like a lot of recruiting spots. And also something that I probably should talk about later is um, our lightweight program getting cut actually. Um, so that's been a big thing. There's, there's a lot of um, heavy donors at Dartmouth. We just had like a 10, $9 million boathouse put down, which is like such a nice facility. And they're they never got to cut, like race a head race at the facility. Their program got cut like with one of the like another claim from the department about like financial hardship. And it's just like really hard for me to wrap my head around that overall too. So that's something that I think like I want to really touch on at some point just to like kind of honor them. And because so, we have like eight of them who joined our team too. And they're like great guys, but I couldn't even imagine like to be in the position. I remember I listened to Diego's episode that just dropped um, from Stanford and really in the IRA, in the IRA, in our league as heavyweight rowers, like anywhere from like that, like fifth or sixth, like top finisher, of the IRAs all the way down to 14th. It's a really tight pack in terms of like talent in those top two boats. So it's really just like, I feel for them because they're, they're a crew that like my freshman year, like, well, I think they beat us last year too. I think like it's been packed and that we have a lot of like mutual respect between those programs. And it's like, yeah, they came from a joint practice, I want to say, recently. And it's just, it really it really hurts to see all of that going on around yeah. us, too. Totally. I think especially, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. And that is, I mean, that's news to me that their lightweight program's being cut. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that's not the first time we've heard of a program being cut even this year. And God willing, let's hope that that's the last program that's 
at least last rowing program that is going to be cut this year or at least in the near future. Uh, I've recently read an article, I believe it's from the Atlantic, uh, regarding just how how the how cutting sports like rowing and like these kind of niche sports from like the upper class, how cutting these sports will affect who is recruited and what efforts regarding recruiting and, and diversifying the sport, how those are affected as well. Uh, what are your thoughts regarding that? And just do you see that? Um, I mean, you're you're right there. You're seeing it happen, Michael. Or what effects do you see of the lightweight program being cut from your from your angle? Yeah, I I mean, just having less teams is definitely going to just make the overall recruiting process for rowing and the pool for people who are going to pursue it in college just smaller in general. The light the lightweight rowers who decided to join our team. We're a really close school, really close boathouse, and I like love all those guys for sure. But I really want them to be able to like continue with their own program, and it just really hurts to see like just so abruptly because they're not they're not there. If there is a spring season, they're not going to compete this year because they were cut like in summer. So it's like basically they got on like a webinar like a couple of seconds like maybe before they got like a notification like thirty minutes before, but they cut lightweight rowing like swimming, golf. I want to say. And it was just really, really rough. And when I'm thinking about in the future, like I know to get into Dartmouth as, as recruit, I wasn't recruited. I um, applied early decision and got into the school and was really happy about that. But I know for how we do recruiting, like based on academic indices, like it's getting progressively harder and harder to get like a recruiting spot at Dartmouth. And I think that even like having barriers to entries like test scores, like how do you do well on like an SAT, ACT? A lot of practice and probably getting tutoring. Who has access to those things like practice and tutoring prep? Probably people who are higher socioeconomically. So if you're talking about decreasing the spots for something that's becoming an increasingly hard process to evaluate and really like kind of like compartmentalizing and like segregating and looking for a like ideal candidate, which it might end up excluding an entire group of people, that's something that I think is pretty, pretty problematic for the efforts of bringing more diversity and just broader perspectives to a sport in general. I mean, when you have fewer seats available for folks to get into, who do you think is going to get into those seats? You know, how many, in terms of resources, at least the ones we have developing now in the rowing world to diversify the sport, we're going to have to work even harder to make sure that lower income students can compete and just even get a chance, a level playing field to even get recruited. I want to add on, think about COVID. So what are the metrics that you recruit for in a program? You look at ERG score, you look at test scores, GPA. So think about it, someone who might not even have access to equipment right now. It's like that very so much state to state. What if you're not even given that chance? What if you're better on the water and you having a good showing at like one of these like more developmental camps or one of these youth regattas was gonna be that thing that pushes you over the edge. So people who might have access to ERGs like in their home, they're probably gonna still be able to keep continue on and train. And a lot of people who aren't in that position might just fall through the cracks. And of course that can be applied to a lot of different areas, but it especially applies to rowing right now, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And I've seen with like a lot of people I know that are like in the process of getting recruited right now, there's a lot of inequity in a lot of those standards you were talking about, like ERGs, SATs and all of that. Like I know people that have had their parents literally fly them out of state if their state wasn't offering SATs. Like I haven't taken my SATs because every time I register for one, the school gets shut down. I personally don't have an ERG, but thankfully my coach let us borrow one. But like if that wasn't the case, like I literally wouldn't even have an ERG. So it's like I feel like a lot of times in rowing, 
coaches don't kind of take into account those inequities. And there's a, probably a bunch of like me's out there that can't take an SAT or don't have a nerve to take a 2K that are probably really good at rowing, but they just won't get kind of the exposure that they need because they don't have access to the stuff. Let me ask this. So we have, I mean, unintentionally, we didn't plan to have two folks from a Jamaican American background on the same podcast episode, which I think is, which is just, uh, what's the word for it? Um, serendipitous. <laughs> I think it's just so serendipitous. And I, I think everything happens for a reason. So I'm glad you both are here. Michael, given everything that you've said, and I think Kira, you brought up a great point regarding inequity. What advice would you give someone like Kira, who's just so happens to also be Jamaican-American, but who's trying to get uh, recruited into college during this time? I mean, she's not a lightweight male rower, but there are there are also women's programs that were cut as well. What advice would you give to her during this time of COVID, of Black Lives Matter, of racial injustice, of of health inequity, resource inequity. I'll stop right there just to name all the negative stuff. But what advice would you give to someone like her? My broadest and greatest advice, I would definitely be persistent. I would be focused and I'd be authentic to yourself. Those are probably the three main things that I work on. I definitely would say that um, just something that really relieves me stress is that when I talk to people, like I'm, I don't want to say I'm not disrespectful, not at all, definitely, but I'm just candid and honest with my feelings and opinions. So especially now, I feel like that's something that's almost coming out of this kind of surreal time and surreal moment we're in. People, we're in a very divided and divisive nation. People are now more than others willing, willing to wear on their arm, wear on their car, wear on their like shirt, what they feel. And being true and authentic to yourself, it's almost the relief because it's like if people come in and out of your life now, at least you know that it's because of like you being yourself and true to, your, true to who you are. On the other hand, I think it's important to be pers persistent because of like so many moving pieces right now, especially with just like recruiting programs, funding, like there couldn't be like great coaches out there who are just in such like precarious positions where they don't really they're not a part of the decision-making for like if a program's going to stay or not. They don't know how many recruiting spots they're going to get. I'm in like the process of applying for um, graduate schools right now. And I like, I remember candidly, I, I was sp speaking to an admissions officer, one of them, and they talked about how the prior year, and again, these are public health graduate schools. So you'd hope that all these public health schools at a time like this would have the funding to admit more students because we obviously have all these really great broad issues that are coming on. And she candidly was like, yeah, like we accepted applications for our program last year and we didn't accept anyone just because we didn't have like the funding and mentorship match. And it's kind of like a lot of things like that are just happening at a time like this. So it's definitely gonna be hard for the next couple of months. But I think if you kind of stay true to yourself and stay focused, you're going to find like the best opportunity for you and probably where you need to go. Like where I'm thinking about where I was in March to where I am now. Like I definitely think on paper, I'm in a better position, even though like in terms of feeling like I really would have loved to be up with my teammates or on my campus for my senior year, hanging with my friends, able to go to like the dining hall and make fun of everybody, but it's just not the case right now. But just like kind of hoping and like committing to like bettering your future is something that I think will truly pay dividends one way or another. Yeah, like speaking to what you said about like authenticity, 
have definitely felt after everything like politically and socially that's been going on in America in the past couple months. I definitely feel myself slowly being able to like not code switch as much as practice, not kind of put on my rowing face at practice and I can kind of be myself a little bit more amongst my teammates. And I feel like they're being a little more cognizant and mindful that, you know, I'm my own person outside of rowing and that I shouldn't have to like change my personality to kind of assimilate with my teammates. Let's say I didn't know what code switch meant. Kira, how would you define it? And Michael, how would you define it? I would define it as like, I have like my own kind of style of talking. Like I use my own like terminology or like my friends like know what I mean when I say something, but then when I'm at rowing, I kind of, I don't know how to say this like without like technical, like technical terms. I would like, I, I guess I sound a little more proper a little more eloquent. I don't know how I would phrase it. Yeah, I would say for me, code switching is just kind of like censoring myself, definitely. Like, definitely. I'm not like if you're speaking casually around your friends, I typically, I don't want to say I, now it's actually, yeah, I'd also say it's like weaving together more just because I feel like the settings we're in, people understand like the anxiety. So while it, it would be a whole other like debate to say if like you being inauthentic is like microaggression. Like, are you like censoring people? Are you saying like someone being authentic to themselves and their, their culture, how they talk with their friends is bad in one circumstance, but you can't do it if I like looked another way or like came from a different background. But yeah, that's definitely, I think something too that um, we talked about, you talked about earlier, Denise, how um, Kira and I both have um, a Jamaican background. I think about like my mother, and her generation, definitely, I feel like they grew up like having to code switch to get into the positions they had to be in. So like my mom, like definitely the hardest working person I know, bar none, like she immigrated to Jamaica when she was seven, but her parents weren't there when she immigrated. Her parents were actually like living in, well, no. So yeah, they left Jamaica to go to Canada first, then went to the U.S., and like, yeah, got jobs, like worked in the process of establishing citizenship. And she like basically had to help like raise my, like her older brothers and then her sister, younger sister as well. And then, yeah, she came to the US, like skipped two grades. The movie Lean On Me actually was her high school in New Jersey. Like the movie of um, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> yeah, that was her school. She was like ta- telling me about the chains on the doors and stuff like, ah, oh, this just seems like cap but it wasn't she was like actually in a movie <laughs> so i think kind of on one end she her generation really had to work to like push past like if you didn't have your hair a certain way you're not going to get like a job or like opportunities that people are going to take you seriously if you don't speak like you're from this region and you're completely professional whatever that means there's also that barrier so all those things kind of cumulatively, you're hoping that like in my generation, I guess we're considered Gen Z. I think that's the buzzword they're using nowadays. Yep. You'd hope that those things are kind of slowly being eroded where you're focusing more on like subjective experience. I'm a anthropology major and like in every class they like throw around the word subjectivity, which is basically like focusing on like individual behavior and like the circumstances that people grow up in. It's like, corny on one regard because it's like oh like duh that's life but on the other hand it's like oh 
not judging a book by its cover, maybe like trying to like get a full read on someone before you completely like project something onto them. That's just something that I think we all kind of need to strive more towards. And it's just a good philosophy to have. Yeah. Not assume, ask. I was really into what you were saying, Michael, because it it reminded me a lot of the conversation that I had with Kylie Jones. I don't know if um, both of you listened to what she said in her episode and also in the Black Lives Matter episode. At the end of the day, you don't want to say we're all just one race, the human race. You don't want to say that because it kind of just denigrates everyone's individual experiences, their backgrounds. And also like just because there are two Jamaican American people here doesn't mean they're complete. Their experiences are completely the same. You know, I'm not going to treat you both the exact same way and assume that you've had the exact same experiences, et cetera. And I think that just having the lens that, oh, okay, maybe not assuming, not just having your own subjectivity as the only lens in the world is maybe a thought that hasn't occurred to most people. Yeah. I definitely agree because I mean, like on one end, I could say my teammates could have probably judged me like, oh, like this is a kid who's never rode before. He's like played football, like ran track, like looks relatively fit, hopefully. But like, who knows? Like he's not six foot three. Like who knows if he's going to be contribute to, contribute to our team. Like you could flip it around. Like I didn't like step in the boathouse and like see all these people who fit a certain description and like didn't give them a chance. Cause if I wouldn't have, I probably would have turned around then and been like, this isn't the place for me. So I think it kind of takes like a push and pull definitely for everyone to be just like willing and open to learn. And that's kind of just how we're going to move forward and have better like team dynamics, wherever you're in job, like regatta, like boathouse, all those places. Yeah. I like that you use the push and pull to move forward because that's literally what <laughs> growing is. <laughs> and if folks just needed an analogy to see this. And, and I, I think also when you touched on when there are more, I mean, rowing is a white dominated sport. You even look at photos, you Google rowing and you're, I'm not going to see anyone that looks like any of us on there, maybe one day, but you know, I, it's just not going to, it's just not there. And I think that the more homo, the more homogeneous uh, space becomes, the less opportunity there is to kind of challenge that thought process and also just open up that, that mindset that maybe these assumptions aren't as true as we think they are. And maybe there's that line between subjectivity and objectivity. And maybe our white teammates and our white coaches and our white peers wouldn't, ha- wouldn't find it so challenging to ask certain things or, or to see that, oh, I didn't mean it like that, maybe has a larger impact of, you know, like maybe you meant it this way and it still, it still had a negative impact. Yeah. What would you think is something that can help other coaches or, or teammates specifically who are white understand social issues like race? I definitely would say yeah, emphasizing just subjectivity and then listening as well is the kind of most important thing. Like there's this, there's this thing in psychology. I can't, I don't really know what's the name of it, but um, it's basically like when you learn a little bit about something, like people feel really empowered to speak on it a lot. And then like kind of the more you learn about it, like the less comfortable you are talking about it until you're like truly an expert. And then you get kind of back to that like equilibrium of like where you're kind of comfortable to talk about it. And I've kind of just noticed like in general, especially with like just, the rise of like civil unrest in this country, even though I felt like these were all kind of things that were just around. Like I always kind of felt unsafe going places like, and that I wasn't protected and people just stared at me, at me negatively, even though I like, you can't see me in the podcast, but I look kind of goofy at times. Like people are like, oh, like I feel like I'm a pretty harmless guy, but to some in this country, I'm menacing, which is not a great feeling to have. 
And it's just like, yeah, take the time to listen. And then when you listen, don't go and like try and like be an expert on it. Like there were tons of just like infographics and stuff. Like I just want to delete like all my social media. That's like a common like cliche. Like people are like, oh, like I'm about to unplug, like don't talk to me. But like at times I was like, dang, like this is actually crazy. Like all these people are like posting all this information on stuff like they like truly like knew about it. And that's something that I'm like personally like looking at, like what I do. I'm like, hmm, before I like try and speak on this certain thing, before I like try to repost this certain graphic, like maybe I should spend a little bit more time immersing myself in this subject before I like do on it. And like, you don't need to talk about everything because there's just a lot of injustice around the world. So it's like almost putting that pressure of like just saying something is like you like kind of holding up this like, image that you need is also just something that I think is a lot of pressure. So yeah, just for like coaches, teammates and stuff, like being honest and open about something is big. Like my, I haven't sp spoke about him at all, but our head coach is like really amazing guy. He's a former Olympian and he was a novice walk-on at UVA, which was a club school. And so he's, he was also just an ex like outstanding athlete. Like he, I don't know, he, he, he often just like throws in these anecdotes, which is like, oh yeah, like I used to do this and this, this and that in like a totally humble way, but he doesn't really understand like kind of the tenacity that shows in him. And I think it's like kind of cool and awe-inspiring as well, even though I don't have like Olympic aspirations. Like I really still, I see throwing as like a lifelong sport. I've been sculling now and it's really fun, but it's also just like, it's another level to win like, 2004 Olympic gold like that's a whole in the eight that's a whole other setting and he's really good and candid about this and like saying like I don't have enough of a background on this topic and I'm not going to speak like I do and it's something that I've kind of like realized that I have like I need to work on if I have any bias I need to work on listening to these stories I need to work on just bettering myself before I like want to pat and just don't pat yourself on the back either it's like he's like that's not enough like this is a, these are issues that take tons of time tons of people working towards them and just kind of understand the gravity of a situation not project that on someone and just to kind of just work on what you can control to not negatively add to a lot of the great dilemmas we face mm -hmm. so you spoke about like pressure about like amongst like a lot of the social political things that are going on right now have you ever felt like it was your responsibility or have your teammates or your coaches ever kind of come to you especially during like now as kind of their person to like ask questions about uh, ask questions to or to like kind of educate them like have you felt like people are coming to you more now that all of this is going on yes and no it was actually kind of interesting so um Arshay Cooper, obviously, you know, him. he actually is on the GPRF staff now. So I, we had a staff meeting this, this morning. We got to chat it up um, then, which is really cool to see and like have this like consistent interaction with him. But um, I remember he added me on Facebook in like February or January. And like he like Facebook messaged me. I don't know why I was checking that like platforms I typically don't like I just like dump photos for my family and friends to see and just like leave it alone after that <laughs> and Facebook messaged me I was like hey like got this like movie and book coming out like wanna like wanna chat about it like we see you like doing this this and that at Dartmouth like it'll be great to talk I'm like this is spam like I should not respond to this man and then 
then, <laughs> and then but I, I did anyway. And of course, like, obviously now, like great guy doing such amazing work. And yeah, we were kind of in talks before, of course, obviously, like very, very significant, prominent um, police killing of um, black people beyond the Taylor George Floyd, all the names, all the videos, all the just trauma from that. And so I was like really kind of pumped before that. And then and now it's like when it felt like something that was just like nationally, like taking a light, a lot of light and then going in a lot of different directions, I did feel overwhelmed at times. We actually, um, as a full boathouse, including the lightweights who were still a member of our team and a member of our um, Dartmouth Athletics, um, we collectively started a fundraiser for the NAACP um, and we raised like, we, we, they, um, some people reached out to me, my really, um, like probably one of my best friends, the current captain of the women's team, Hannah Frader, um, Elliot Dang, Anthony Wang. They were working on, on it like a little bit beforehand, asked me if I wanted to help out as a representative from the heavyweight crew team. They said, of course, no pressure. I actually declined at first. Cause I was like, there's too much like on my plate. Like I'm at home yeah. living in my mom's basement. Like I'm not trying to like deal with all of this when I'm already like overwhelmed. And then like a day later, I was like, no, I actually do want to help. And like took a pretty, like a larger role in helping it out, helping out with the effort. And it was like a huge success. Like we organized it two weeks before we did like this little fundraiser where we like everybody over the course of three days logged the meters they like ergs, bikes, ran, and we raised like $25,000, which is like kind of like amazing for like such just a like off bat short, like really cool effort. And that's another reason why I'm like, I feel just so bad for the lightweight team. Cause I'm like, they were a big part of this and it, they like don't, they have alumni donors. They, I mean, yeah, they literally got like a really nice Felipe boat the other, the other day I'm rowing at, um, chaos, scholars in um, North Carolina right now. Um, and one of the, our alumni is uh, on the board of the club. And I know he was like really hurt cause he was like a big supporter of the um, lightweight program as well. So it's just kind of interesting to see all of that going on. Um, oh, I lost, I definitely lost the question. Can you remind me, can you remind <laughs> me what, the, what the question was overall? Have you ever felt like overwhelmed or a lot of pressure from your teammates or coaches to kind of be that person to come to for questions about like race or social political problems? Yeah. So at first I was like, yeah, like this is just too much. But now I'm definitely like this is something that I'm just like energized about overall. And it's just like I guess it's because like a lot of the work I want to do is towards like eliminating like a lot of inequity out there. Like I feel like it's like. What, since it affects my day-to-day -day so much, like working in that field is something that I feel like is really fulfilling and redeeming. We had a, I actually went to the drive-in premiere, the most beautiful thing, and Mary Mazio, the director was actually in, in <laughs> Maine. And she was like, she came up to me, of course, because I'm at a drive-in movie theater in Maine with my uh, two friends, Hannah and Abby. They're both uh, women's rowers. Abby lives in Maine. And we went up for the weekend to go watch the movie my, it was also my mom's birthday and I took my mom up there too because I got her the book and um yeah of course like I'm the only black person standing at a um drive-in theater in Maine so she's like oh Michael Arshay told me about you because I stood <laughs> out and yeah it was really it was really cool and it's like moments like those where it's like oh like this drive-in theater in like Maine is like watching like a movie on like black rowers in Chicago that's like 
about their struggle and about what they were like going through at the time that's obvious hardship despite like you don't need a rowing background to notice that like their lives were hard and their lives still are hard and the conditions that they had to face are like daunting and really systemically rooted. So I think it's just like stuff like that that really kind of pushes me and keeps me going. So although there is like a lot of pressure, I think depending on the person like that can really push you towards change. And it shouldn't just take involvement in like, I'm the, I mean, I'm never gonna be as mistaken as someone who's not black. And it's kind of like, it shouldn't take someone to have that like deeply entrenched investment in like advancement for people of color and like black people for them to care about injustices around the world. What advice would you give to any people of color or specifically black people who might be overwhelmed by that pressure to educate or that expectation to educate? What, yeah, what, what kind of message or advice would you give to them? I would say definitely um, to care for yourself in a time like this, like oftentimes there's always gonna be work to be done. And it's always going to be someone requesting for some for you to speak on this, for you to like tell them about this. And there's time you should just say no. You're like, I don't have the capacity to do this right now. I'm focusing on this because you have to live your life, too. And although like a lot of the issues that you're going to be asked to address and a lot of the pressure you have faced on you is a part of your life, you still have to like kind of focus on the things that you really enjoy doing. Like, it's like, as someone who's really like committed to hopefully solving like racial health disparities, like obviously I wanna chat about it all day, but it's like, there's a certain point in time where it's like, I wanna talk about football. I wanna, I wanna just like, I don't know, talk shit with my friends. Like there's this stuff like that where you're like, oh, like this is just like also really deeply entrenched in your life. Like I remember in the chat today um, for a staff meeting at GPRF, Arshay mentioned that, um one of the staff members, not staff, one of the actresses from Power, like, um, DM'd him and said that she really enjoyed the movie and thought it was great work and wanted to work with him. And I was like, yeah, like, and he, and I, I talked, um, texted Arshay on the side and was like, what if it was like Tyreek? Cause Tyreek is like the super villain of like Power. He's like this awful kid who like gets his, oh, I don't want to ruin it, but he like does some bad things at the end of the, at the end of the series. And he's like, if it was Tyreek, I wouldn't even like, <laughs> Have like responded to it like I, I hate that kid and it's just like stuff like that, that i think like you still need to like focus on yourself <laughs> and like your own personal enjoyment because with a lot of bad things going on around you there's still like you have to find the things that make you happy yeah sometimes you just have to take a step back and just take like a really deep breath and be like all right there's other things going on in my life like i can't just put all of my energy into like trying to save the world and i can't be like the savior for other people to come to, to like answer all their questions, like all the time. If listeners could take away and keep in mind, our listeners are all, all colors of the rainbow. And, <laughs> but I think in commonality, I think the one thing that everyone has in common is everyone is, is willing to at least listen. Everyone's willing to try and at the very least listen. And there are a lot of other, we have a good amount of listeners. Um, if they should take away one thing from this episode, what should it be? I would say definitely pay attention to subjectivity. Like just because you learn about something, you need to like really understand that it's, you live in a world of what, 6 billion people. So even just extrapolating about it, some people in a group, it, you, you don't have a full picture of what a group even means. So you have to really look beyond and broader than that. And another thing is just, you have to 
get uncomfortable. Something that my dad always told me was that if you're the smartest person in the room, if you're really comfortable in your situation, get out because you're not going to be able to advance yourself there. And that's something that I think really resonates with me because like all the people I see who weren't exposed to racism before, weren't exposed to like lots of people having struggle. I'm like, dang, you were really comfortable. Like, it's like you weren't really like the information's out there, like disparities out there. And it's like, at some point in time, you probably saw like a history of like segregation and slavery in the, in the United States. You saw like a lot of people like protesting over like unjust, like um, deaths of people who were like unarmed. And you said, wow, that's awful. Let me ch flip the channel and go to bed. Like there are times when you need to really push yourself to become uncomfortable so you can grow and so you can like have something that's like shows that you actually care. And I just hope that like in this period where everyone's gonna be uncomfortable one way or not, whether or not you believe in coronavirus, whether or not you believe in systemic racism, oppression, your life has been dramatically altered to this point. And if it hasn't, it will at some point. So it's like, with one of the most uncomfortable periods in a century, let's hope that people understand how this can push you to grow. Yeah, I think that's really profound. And that's really direct too. I don't think that needs further explaining. It's just really direct right there. And a really, really strong takeaway. If folks want to reach out to you or, or get in touch with you or follow you along your journey, or if they're also um, a kid of Jamaican immigrants <laughs> and they just want to celebrate <laughs> and reach out to you in solidarity, um, how can they reach out to you? So I have Instagram and Twitter. I'd say those are the, like the main two social medias where I'm like comfortable with people I don't really know reaching me, reaching out to me on. Um, the Instagram's Michael, so M-I-C-H-A-E-L underscore D underscore green, G-R-E-E-N, like the color. Twitter is thoughts by... So it's thoughts, so T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S underscore B-Y underscore M-D-G. Um, yeah, you could add me on LinkedIn too, since I'm obviously transitioning your life, thinking about jobs, grad school, all that. And yeah, just feel free to shoot me a message. Um, I'm usually pretty quick to respond because I'm uh, there's not a lot of stuff to do nowadays. So yeah, just... Just feel free to reach out. I'd love to chat, chat it up. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you both. <laughs> thank you both for your time in, 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 in this conversation. I feel like we just hit the tip, the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> there could be at least a few more episodes and conversations regarding this. And, and I know that that the, the advice that you gave Michael regarding self-care is so important, so important. So I just want to emphasize that again, but thank you both for your time, Michael and Kira. Happy to be back. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I know it's late. So definitely thanks for staying up with me. I'm probably about to make dinner <laughs> in a few. And yeah, this is really, really fun. I'm glad I'm glad to be on. Thank you so much for listening to Rolling in Color. Please remember to follow or hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're on Instagram, please follow us at Rolling in Color. We really appreciate it. Just as much as we appreciate you. So this is Denise and Patricia signing off. Stay safe, everyone.